I'm Stephen. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode of The Stephen and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about managing stress and being more productive with a special guest. Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 72 of the Stephen and Kevin Show. Today, we've got a special guest on the line, Caddy Gustavsby, founder of Purist Consulting, and we are excited to have her on the show. She is a growth, change, and branding expert. She works with law firms, advisors, and organizations on growing by mastering change and developing brands that get their message out effectively. So today, we're going to focus specifically on stress, how to manage stress, how to do less, but even be more effective than you have been previously. Uh, just a quick plug before we get started into today's show, um, I want to talk to you just a little bit about our performance coaching. We specialize in helping advisors grow their business. When you enroll in our coaching program, you not only get a proven research-backed game plan, more importantly, you'll have someone whose sole job is to help you implement that plan. So if you have an interest, complete the form on our website, oxy.com slash coaching, and we will have a consultation with one of us. If you're if you're lucky, you'll get me. If you're not so lucky, maybe you'll, you'll get Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, back to the main event here. Kathy, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on the line with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Stephen and Kevin. Now, I gave a little bit of your uh, your background or what you're focused on now, but I know you, we didn't do it justice. We'd love to hear a little bit of more of your story and, and how you got, got into this line of work. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, yeah, um, I'm an immigrant. We'll make it short, but um, give you a full picture of who I am. And um, we came to this country in 79, and we thought we were staying for two weeks. And um, we brought two suitcases, and we stayed forever. And I grew up in the Midwest. So I'm no stranger to change and growth and having to push myself. And um, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer for two reasons. One, I really wanted to be of service to people. I have this freakish need to serve people. And two, I very wrongly thought, well, maybe if I'm a lawyer, people will love me more as an immigrant. This is usually where my audiences laugh because no one <laughs> Well, I, I laugh. When you said yeah, I give you permission to laugh, right? No one loves <laughs> And so I did that. Um, I had a very successful career in Washington, D.C. as a securities lawyer. I was a federal lobbyist, so I got to see how that sausage is made. And um, I did that for several years. And then I was at the Securities and Exchange Commission, which was a dream job. I was there when Enron blew up. And I did a lot of the public company and investment company uh, rulemaking post-Enron. And, um, and I was also responsible for setting up and creating the IARD, the Investment Advisor Registration Depository, where all advisors register. And then we updated the CRD, where broker-dealers register. So from the SEC, I went to a major law firm because I was fortunate enough to get asked to interview, and, um, and we were the preeminent investment management firm in the country, and I was in their D.C. office, and so my clientele were Fidelity, Franklin Templeton, the big boys, and it was always me and a lot of advisory clients, a lot of broker-dealer clients, and um, my business grew, and my my you know practice grew and along the way I would always get lawyers asking me and in DC one out of every like 267 lawyers people are lawyers and I know this fact because we researched it for my first book um, people would always ask me how'd you get that great job how'd you get promoted and I would say I don't have time for this I gotta go back to work but let me take you to lunch and tell you what I do 
And I had no idea, Kevin and Stephen, that that was um, the start of my second career, giving branding advice on the run. And um, the last part of my career, my father started to get sick, and I moved to California to be closer to my family. And I took my last legal job. I was in-house counsel at Pacific Life. So I reported to two large boards of directors, and I was investment counsel. And um, that was the job where I burnt out. I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it's a funny story. My husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, said to me one weekend, you don't look happy anymore at work. Make sure you don't blow up. And I was really sort of offended, but I was also kind of <laughs> curious, like, who blows up at work? What kind of thing is that to say to someone? But I went to work that week. It was a Wednesday, and I had put in a 15-hour day uh, drafting a very small part of a mutual fund prospectus. And I went home. It was like 9 o'clock, and I opened up my own mailbox in the dark and picture it with me. There just so happened by coincidence to be one of my own prospectuses. And what do you guys think I did with it? Tossed well, it. I threw it away. <laughs> That's right. You know it into that circular file because no one reads that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was my big aha moment standing there in the dark two years before the recession that maybe what I was doing personally, it's a very personal question, was not the right fit for me because I wasn't making the difference that I wanted to make. So I quit cold turkey, long story short. I took a random community college course taught by an ex-Harvard litigator. I couldn't get away from the lawyers to save my life on <laughs> natural talent. And I found out what I do today is really my natural talent. So I'm very left-brain, linear, analytical, all about how to run a business well, understand the advisory business and the legal business so well from a strategy operations perspective, but my left brain and who knew is very well balanced against my right creative brain. So all the things that we want to talk about today um, come into the picture. And um, I started this business. I had no idea where it would take me two years before the recession because everyone thought I was crazy leaving that great profession behind. I thought I was crazy, but all I knew is I couldn't go back. And it truly is natural because it just is, it's easy for me. And I want that same level of ease and grace for all the advisors out there. So that's a little bit about my background. Yeah, well, that, that's great. And thank you for sharing that. I, you know, it, it gets you thinking when, when you described your work in creating these prospectuses, mm -hmm. I don't know the plural form of that, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, I could see how the hard work is even more stressful when it's something that you don't have a lot of passion for. Mm -hmm. I was thinking prior to today's session, I was thinking about what stresses me out. And it's all the things that I love the most stress me out. My family, my job. These are like my favorite things in the whole world. Right. They, so, so you deal with them because they stress you out. Yeah, because there's also a certain amount of passion for it that I love it. Yeah. But it also, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but you know, when you're passionate about it, the exhaustion, um, you just push through because you enjoy it, right? I mean, you guys enjoy what you do. So you're going to have positive stress around certain things, and that's just adrenaline is how I like to look at it. But um, it's when it's day in and day out and you don't understand what purpose you're serving that, that gets difficult, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a, um, a little bit about how you see stress impacting productivity? Sure. So um, – it, let me go back and explain to you why I focus so much on stress, and that that will mm. give you a good um, background, the context for, to answer the productivity question. So about a decade ago, I did formal research with a neuroscientist at UCLA and because um, I wanted to prove my theories because I'm left-brain linear just like everybody else. Uh, and I found out there's a direct inverse correlation, 
direct inverse correlation between stress and self-confidence. And this is all um, uh, written and documented in my formal research, which mm -hmm. I have a summary of, and I'm happy to share with anybody who wants to read the summary. Um, what that means is as your stress goes up, and it naturally does for everybody, you, me, every advisor out there listening, your stress is going up because you've got a business to manage, you've got family obligations, you've got aging parents, you've got kids, you name it, right? Your self-confidence, according to my research, is proportionally dropping as that stress is going up. Now, this could happen for the most self-confident person, and most of our clientele are that. There's nothing wrong with my clientele. They're just really working on growing and managing this. So stress is going up and self-confidence is going down. What that means, according to my research, is that your brand value diminishes. And what that means, then, is that you're not resonating with your audience, i.e. no one's buying what you're selling. You may be the best advisor out there, but in that moment, no one's your biggest fan, much less even paying attention to you even to get past the credibility and figure out, um, wow, what a great guy, he must be credible. So stress impacts productivity exactly in that way. When you're stressed and your self-confidence is low, your motivation and your drive is low because you're unsure, right? You're feeling unsafe is what we say. And men are like, I'm, I'm always manly and macho and safe. And that's great. We're not talking about physical safety. We're talking about you're not confident. And so when you're com not confident, your productivity has to be low because your motivation is low. If you're not producing results the way you want to and you're working likely twice as hard, three times as hard, and getting um, an eighth of that result. That's interesting. Right. I mean, and, and it's one of those things that's hard to fake. It's hard to fake not being stressed. Mm. If you inherently ha have a lot going on and you've got a high degree of stress, when you're out, let's say you're in the advisor space and you're in front of a client, you're in front of a prospective client or COI, are they able to read through it? Are they able to tell that you're stressed even though you're trying to mask it and pull yourself together with calm confidence? Well, yeah, that's, an, that's an excellent point you raise, um, Stephen. Here's what I've discovered, uh, more of the research. There's a distinction between how men and women carry their stress. When men are stressed, lucky you, um, you actually keep it together a lot better. And if I come up to you, you, if I start having a conversation with you, I might notice your eyes are darting back and forth in your head. But you as a gender can keep the um, persona up a little better. As women, um, Lord, you know, when we're stressed, it's like our hair is on fire. At least I know that's how I am. And so it becomes a factor, like you said, of how do you hide it. And it's what I always say, genuine brands win. Um, if you don't have a genuine brand that you can authentically own, and that's my favorite word in air quotes, own, then people will always know because it's it's just uh, something that's um, natural to us. We can't really fake that very well. Uh, everything I teach and everything we're talking about today, by the way, is subconscious processing of information. It's stuff you can't put your finger on. Nothing in my programs is about one plus one equal two. That's why I ask mm -hmm. people to suspend their left linear brain when they work with me because marketing and development and um, understanding the, the correlation of productivity and stress is really about emotional decision-making and that's all resides in your right creative brain. So none of this formally makes sense, but we always see the results because people say, I don't know, I don't feel good around that person. I can't put my finger on it, right? And it's mm -hmm. their stress level in part coming through their brand. 
That's interesting. And so let's talk about maybe managing stress a little bit or, or some, some strategies you have for that. Because I know like when my wife is stressed and I tell her to relax, does, <laughs> does, it doesn't really work. You know, it, it has it, the opposite effect. Yeah, it has the exact opposite effect. <laughs> and I'll be like, hey, just relax, chill out. And she just, just kind of amps her up, you know. So uh, I'm assuming that's not the uh, advice you'd, you'd give. Well, I mean, I'm not a marital therapist, but I think <laughs> as women, anytime, um, you know, we just want somebody, as, as I once learned, to hold the trash bag as um, a brilliant woman who runs a brilliant company, Alison um, Armstrong says, just hold the trash bag. Don't tell me how to fix it, right? Uh, but yes. Yeah. Any kind of advice like that tends to amplify our stress. So um, deals to ways to deal with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in all our programs, uh, they're long-term programs because you can't fix anything overnight, right? And I and I really, when people come to me, when advisors come and go, hey, can you make my brand all shiny? And can we do this like overnight? It's exciting. We have a month. And I'm like, no, it's just not possible because there's so many factors. And to the stress factor it really takes time for advisors and their staff to really understand that this is something that starts with self-awareness. Are you self-aware of how you're coming across and how that perception is landing on others and how your stress is impacting your day-to-day? And most people aren't uh, because we don't want to look at that. It feels icky. It's like, ew. So I always tell all my clients, if anywhere what I say makes you uncomfortable, that's fantastic because that's how you grow. And anytime we're dealing with stress, it's an uncomfortable topic, right? It's like, ugh, the S word, right? I don't want to deal with it. So the first step in dealing with it and managing anything, including stress, is having self-awareness around what the impact is and how it's landing on people and how are we measuring results. And productivity is an easy one to measure. If you want to be more productive, you have to lower your stress. And there's so many tools we put in people's toolbox. The easiest one, and it's a no-brainer, but no one, frankly, does it until they see the whole picture in our programs, is three deep breaths. When you are stressed, you've almost taken flight from your body. You're no longer present. So in that moment, putting you in front of a client or a prospective client or even, frankly, in front of your staff is a bad decision because you're not present and you can't lead anything well, and whatever you say is not going to have high impact, and you're not going to be an influencer, which is what we really work towards, making sure all of our clients have a brand that's one of an influencer. And so you have to get yourself together, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase. So three deep breaths, deep diaphragmatic breaths from the bottom of your stomach, and diaphragm really and that is an easy tool to use before you walk into any meeting before you go into any prospective client meeting go on stage anything uh, just to oxygenate your right and left hemispheres because there is science behind this and to get yourself together so that you present well and automatically you'll find your stress level going down and your self-confidence going up that was great advice. Yeah. So in, in other words, Kevin, when you're talking to Michelle, just tell her instead of relax, just tell her three deep breaths, Michelle. Three deep breaths. <laughs> no, I don't think it's meant that way. No. You know, the barometer for Kevin is we can tell Kevin's stressed by the height of his hair because when yeah, he gets stressed, like, he starts running his fingers through his hair. So and if you see just, him at the end of the day, you can you can read it. But um, you know what, what I think also is as we're talking about ways to manage stress, some of this you know should be done as a financial advisor preemptively. By being careful around your numbers, number of households, what you're promising them in terms of service and deliverables, mm. number of investments you're managing, all the things. I mean, one, one thing about this business of, of financial advice is that there are a lot of measurables. 
And if you're conscious about it of that, I only have so much bandwidth for so many people that you tend to be within yourself. You tend to have more time to focus on your better relationships and your marketing and your your team and things that are really important. We're kind of talking about trying to do too much, right, essentially. And so, I mean – Well, it, it, it kind of leaps over to – I know uh, – one of the things that we, we had planned to talk today about was was change. Mm-hmm. And, and for advisors, sometimes change comes from uh, the regulator. Sometimes it comes from their firm. Sometimes it comes from within their own business that their business has grown and has become more complex. Um, and and I'm, I'm kind of curious from your point, Kathy, how does dealing uh, with change impact stress? So it's an excellent question you ask. Um, so as a growth change and branding expert, changes everything. If you are not willing to change and if your business is not changing, how are you ever going to grow your advisory practice? Um, you can't have growth without change. However, as humans, according to my research, change is hard, right? Why? Because we're creatures of habit and we all tend to be Uh, creatures that want to find safety in keeping the status quo so we can control the environment, right, and control the outcomes. And that's actually the hardest part, letting go of the wheel and allowing change to happen. And change is uncomfortable, but it, it has to happen in order for your practice to grow. And that's the biggest thing we deal with with professionals. Um, How are you managing change? And most of them say, well, I avoid it because I don't want to add more stress and I don't, we've got it under control. And I say, great, you know, I'm not looking for growth to go from zero to 50%. We're always looking for change that leads to sustained growth. And that's why we like working with companies like Oxley who actually get it and partner with me on the other half of this. So, you know, the emotional decision-making process is so important as what I teach. And then you guys actually take that and implement it so well through your growth models. But regardless, the underlying factor is, are you willing to change? And are you willing to know that that could increase your stress? However, on the other side of that are some great things. So when people don't stretch and they don't change, they don't grow. And so you have to have courage around this. I always say courageous brands win. Are you a courageous advisor willing to really um, lay it all on the line? And do it, though, with intention and do it with a plan, working with companies like mine and partnering with companies like Oxley, where we're the experts and we'll walk you through the process. Process, but you got to be willing to take that first step and know that nothing has to be difficult, but things can be simple yet not easy. I hope that made sense. Maybe we need to drink around that one to make it a little less um, out there. But um, no, I think that makes makes a lot of sense to our audience because much of what a financial advisor needs to do to become successful is pretty well spelled out in in our books and other people's literature. There's not a lot of secret sauce out there as to what makes a successful advisor successful, but there are a lot of mental hurdles that get in the way of doing some of the things they know they ought to be doing. Yeah, and I think to your point about, you know, changing human behavior is is so difficult. I mean, I've moved to – I had a coaching call today with with an advisor I've worked with for quite some time, and lately I feel like he's just been kind of stuck and stagnant, and we've moved to a model of just at the end of each session – one single thing he's going to change. That's it. Like one thing he's going to do as opposed to in the past, he'd try and do a million different things. And it's like, if I can just get him to do one little thing differently, then maybe that'll have a little bit of like a cascading effect and he'll start to, you know, to grow. Or as you said, if you're not stretching a little bit, then you're 
you're, you're kind of dying. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely are. And, you know, then the other part of this, and I know you guys focus on this in collaboration with what I do, is how are you stirring up the energy of your staff to allow them to do that for you? If we let go of the controls, and and I know it's difficult. Uh, you know, I have the lawyer mentality, and my clients as advisors share that with me. That's what makes us good at what we do, the left linear brain. But in order to let go and have a little faith that if you've hired the right staff, um, they can actually do it for you, and then you can do less. And that means then mobilizing them to be productive and to reduce their stress and to define who they are, why they do what they do, and why they show up every day, which is the informal definition of a brand. I have a three-part formal definition, but it's really about do you clearly know who you are? And then do you bring that with consistency to the table, clarity and consistency, the two brands, the hallmark brands of a brand, um, and then how can you utilize those people to support you in that effort so you're not the one doing it all alone and that you, you shouldn't be doing it? And the, you're right. This is all scripted. This is not anything that's like a mystery. It's just people willing to take those next steps and um, choose to look at things differently. That's my tagline of the business. Are you willing to choose to look at things differently? In 2019, how are you going to choose to look at things differently? Or is it going to be the same stuff um, and slogging through it? Which no one, we don't want that for any of our clients, right? We don't. No, and it's not very fulfilling to, to live like that. And, that. and I think, you know, especially in a business where there are predictable patterns. If you're a financial advisor, there's some, there's some predictable patterns that happen. You, you start off in the business, you're willing to try anything. You start to accumulate clients. You'll take pretty much anybody on as a client. And over time, you build up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more before long. If you're successful at it, you've got a bigger operation. There's a lot of households involved. There's more and more team involved. There's more complexity. And if you're not careful, if you're still operating the way you did originally, it's not effective 10 years in or 20 years in. So every year, you've got to be able to collect your breath and say, how many people are we going to service? Who is going to help me on this team? What are everybody's roles going to be? Yeah, let's talk about that concept for a second. Just the concept of, of almost like you were saying, Caddy, like letting go, right, to gain control, which I think is so difficult to do. Do you think that – I'm just going to pose the question to you. Do you think that a lot of people have problems delegating sometimes because it's, you know, an ego thing? Like they think that they can just do it better or they don't – you know, like do you think that the ego is involved there? Absolutely. And I'm glad you raised that, Kevin. Um, it's true for all of us, right? And it's not because we think we're the best thing. Uh, I wish it was. That's frankly what I spent a lot of time working with advisors are proving to them how great they are. It's the inverse. We're not sure of ourselves. So our ego kicks in and we compensate. We overcompensate. It's kind of like when you see those people that are doing strange things and being rude to people and seem very hoity-toity, but it's really because they're low in self-confidence. So our ego kicks in in that moment and we're like, well, I, I can't trust anyone because I'm not sure of myself and I don't have faith in myself. So why would I have faith in anybody else? So I'm just going to do it all. And I'm going to grip this steering wheel so hard, and I'm going to ride this bus called my my practice um, really into the ground because I'm not willing to see things differently because I can't imagine it could be better. 
and I don't have enough faith in myself. I think um, one of my favorite quotes, and because it was just Martin Luther King Day, it's very apt, Martin Luther King said it, faith is taking that first step without seeing the rest of the staircase. Hmm. And maybe we're getting a little too fluffy for people, but frankly, the simple stuff is really where this is at. The rest of it, you know, with your program, my program, we can teach you guys to do from the emotional side and from, you know, your best practices of putting it into practice. Uh, it's just having people really be willing to stop and step back and say, um, let me look at, let me look at myself and see how it's working, which is exactly why I have so much respect for all of my clients. I always say to my clients, I deeply respect every one of them because they're willing to go on this journey with me and step back and say, I will take a look at myself and I will look at the good and the bad. There is no real bad, but I will be willing to redefine it so I can then utilize my staff and that I can then have an intentional branding plan in order to harness these changes to grow the business and um, then a beautiful partnership is formed and then we can work together with companies like yours to make that all happen with them, for them, frankly. So um, that's my long answer to your great question, Kevin. That was a great response. Thank you. Well, one of the things that we often find with our best clients are those who are they're tinkerers or, or experimenters. Mm -hmm. You know, it tends to be that and, and I think all coaching organizations attract mostly this type of financial advisor that comes to you because they want help and growth. They want to do things mm -hmm. a little bit differently. But you run across people here or there at a workshop or, or at, a, at a, a branch meeting where you find they've been doing something the same way for so long that it's really hard for them to see that they should take a big step and do some things differently. Whereas most people who come to us, they want to try things a little bit differently. Sometimes they need a little bit of encouragement to try some things that are a little bit more out of comfort zone than the, what they're used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, but those who are the best that we deal with, and we get a lot of clients who are really top of the table, really, really good advisors, they tend to want to analyze, think differently, try new stuff constantly as a means to finding what's going to work for them. Yeah, consistent improvement. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's kind of fun to see and, and why, we, why we love what we do so much. I'm curious, uh, Kathy, when you're feeling stressed, what's the remedy for you? Ah. So uh, thanks for asking. I actually, and I, maybe I'm because I live on the West Coast, I and I call it different things for different clients, but I sit in silence, i.e. meditate. So mm -hmm. I think the best remedy is uh, to stop, which is so counterintuitive, right? We find advisors just push through, and um, it doesn't serve them at all. So I sit still and I get quiet, and I always say one of my favorite phrases is, quote, people are too over-caffeinated, over-tweeted, over-texted, um, and when you are running that fast, um, you know, you risk a lot of things. You risk giving bad advice because you're not covering all your bases, because you're not present, and you also risk just um, not 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 hearing what your gut tells you to do. How can you step forward and give good advice when you can't even fathom um, focus, right? So I always sit still um, every day. It's part of my practice. Like for two days, I've been on the road. I'm home today, and then I leave again tomorrow. So on the planes, best time to sit and close my eyes and take three deep breaths and just go in and see what my gut's telling me. Um, 
gut checks are critically important. And the longer you sit with your gut and quiet your monkey mind, as they call it, um, the more great answers you get. So that's what I do. It's part of our prescription for our clientele. You know, it's a holistic program around if you want to come across well, you got to come across center to compose. No one wants to hire you as their advisor because we've got a lot of choices, right? It's not good enough to just have a brand that's about the marketing and the website and the logo, which is frankly stuff that I don't even do. But people have to feel safe in your presence, like you've got it together and you can give them good advice. It's about their money. And so if you can't give yourself that time to sit still, then how can people feel uh, deep in their gut that you're the one for them that will be able to sit and listen to them? critically and give them the best advice because you're centered and you're grounded and you're focused on their needs. So that's what I do every day to deliver that same thing to my clientele. I like it. And I, and I like the piece about personal presence for advisors that when somebody is determining whether or not to work with you, they're gauging the total package, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I feel like sometimes this is where skill training comes into play. When you ask an advisor or you ask a member of his or her team, how's work? How are things work? What is the most common answer? Oh, busy, hectic. You know, things that don't speak to, I've got it all together. Come mm-hmm. to me, I'm organized. Yeah. I'm going to treat you well. That's right. It yeah. speaks to like chaos, which is not what people want when managing their money. Yeah, that's a really good point. I read a book a while ago and I recommend it to you guys. It was called Busy. And uh, gosh, I can't remember the man's name. Oh, but if you Google it, it the, the it's, it's in red and it says busy. Um, okay. And it's a fantastic book. I recommend everyone read it, including all um, the advisors listening. And in that book, he says exactly just that. It was liberating. He says, you cannot get it all done. Don't bother. With the advent of technology, the way it's coming at you, you can't. Um, But to your point, Stephen, he says, stop using the B word, busy. Because you come across very poorly when you say that. And he gave a bit of advice that I've been using, and it's been kind of funny. I snicker sometimes when I use it. He says, when people say, when you ask them that question, just like you said, and they say, oh, I'm busy, you just look at them and say, well, I appreciate that. I just try not to look at my life as busy because I find it just doesn't work for me and people don't like to hear that or something like that. It's not meant to be snide. It's meant to really bring people back into awareness that, hey, when you walk around constantly saying you're busy, it means you don't have your stuff together. Your brand's falling apart. Why would I want to hire you, much less be around you, right? And it's not to say that we're not busy, but this is what I do. I've retooled it for myself to really choose to see it differently for myself and express it as part of my brand. I say my plate is really full and I'm really grateful for all my clients and all the business I have in my life. And I mean it. I truly mean it. And it sits so well with people because it kind of makes them step back and look at it from that perspective. So I encourage everyone to start phrasing it like that for themselves and for the benefit of everyone around you. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. sounds like a really good book. If I ever you know get the time, I'll I'll uh, read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin, uh, Kevin's a little stressed here. He's got to get back to work. You know, uh, you know what though? Like the, the concept of like just being in the moment too. I feel like I, I I learned that early on. Just waiting tables. I feel like I mean I had such a good. Um, um, I don't know, you, I don't want to say mentor, but the owner of this restaurant when I was younger in college waiting tables and he would always tell me like when I approach a table, you might have a million things going on and orders in your head and things you have, but when you're at that table, nothing else matters except that table and you can't appear frantic or busy, right? 
I mean, it'll, you know, it will absolutely hurt your tips, but it creates a, a poor experience for the customer. Right. And so, and you can see yeah. in the advisor space of so scheduling too many appointments back yeah. to back with no break exactly. or, or, or yeah, it, it's a, uh, so uh, Katy, tell us a little bit about uh, how, if, if a financial advisor wanted help with things like this, mm -hmm. how would they go about engaging you? Thank you for asking. So our website is puristconsulting.com, P-U-R-I-S consulting.com. And um, there's a couple of different ways. So people, after they hear me speak generally, do a training, they're like, what, what do we do now? I'm like, well, frankly, don't panic. That actually increases your stress. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just looking to go from good to great, right? Jim Collins says. So uh, the first step is we like to give everyone a degree of influence brand assessment, really measuring what is your degree of influence, because that's what we're always working toward, to be more influential as a brand. And um, it's an opportunity for them to really figure that out with me. So we send them a set of questions. It takes about half an hour to answer. They email it back to me. I review all their answers plus whatever marketing material they want me to review. And I, of course, look at it from a compliance perspective, too, because you get two, two um, parts of me bang for the buck because I'm always going to be a compliance lawyer. Oh, and then we uh, sit down, and, and I have clients globally, so I'm on Zoom probably more often than I than I can tell. Um, we we have an hour session, and in that hour, I answer a lot of their immediate questions about their brand and about their growth strategy in terms of change and their brand perspective and emotional decision making to be productive. And then together at the end of that time, we really look at well, what's the next best step for them. And and it, it becomes a real partnership because I have a lot of clients who are Oxley clients. And um, I find it's very complimentary um, with what you guys do. And um, one leads to another where the work that we do with clients actually helps them absorb your material that much that much better, and that's fantastic. So that's part one, and it's usually $350 for the assessment. But for all of you um, listeners who are listening to us through this Oxley program, um, because of Oxley offering this, I'm happy to offer it for $150. And they could either email me or um, go to the website and just mention Oxley, and I'm happy to do that. The other offering we have, which we've been doing for a decade now, is Branding Boot Camp. And we offer it live, and I offer it in organizations and advisory offices, and we offer it online. So the next segment of virtual branding boot camp, um, so you're online with a lot of other advisors, it happens in March. And it's a two-hour program. We meet once a month, and we cover all the basics in seven months of your brand, of developing it, of dealing with change, your story, uh, how to take your unique selling proposition and market it out well. And we find it's a really good program for those who are looking to network and also who are trying to keep the cost element down. So it's usually $397 once a month, but for everybody who's listening who's an Oxley participant, um, we'll do $297 for you. And the next cycle starts in March, and there's information on our website if you just go and look up um, Boot Camp or email me, and I'm happy to give you information. Excellent. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing and for being part of the show today. Yeah, I sure enjoyed it. I'm feeling a little less stressed already. <laughs> so we'll have to do this once a week. Uh, this, it's a way for us to get free advice from you is to have you on the show once a week to keep our stress. Happy to. Happy to be of service, gentlemen. It's well, my pleasure because you guys make a big difference out there for advisors, and that's our goal, right? 
That's right. Well, well, thank you again, Kathy Gustavsby, everybody. Thanks for having us, uh, or thanks for being on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me.